Welcome back to the Armchair Trader podcast. Um, and today we're talking about artificial intelligence, and AI is, in my personal opinion, one of the most important investment themes, not only of this year, but probably the next five years. Um, it's certainly something a lot of investors are currently exposed to, and a lot more are thinking about buying into the story. Um, and we have on the podcast today Chris Ganatti, who is Global Head of Research with Wisdom Tree. Um, and we're going to be talking a lot more about the whole investment theme of artificial intelligence. Thank you uh, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people already know about what artificial intelligence is as at a basic concept. And it's obviously creating a lot of excitement in the investment community. Um, to kick off with, AI, is it being overhyped? Are we looking at, is it, is it, is it a little bit like the dot-com boom in 2001? Is it being overstoked by the media? And what's your view on that? It, it probably is to some degree being overstoked because in, in a sense, uh, I, I know as human beings, we, we love exciting stories and we love to be able to put together articles and views and predictions with these really, really big numbers and incredible growth expectations. And you, you sort of look and, and take a step back and realize that AI is a very, very broad term, uh, probably means an infinite number of things. And within that very broad term, you have all these sort of very specific functional areas that have their own timeline. Uh, we saw ChatGPT last year, and that's sort of your, your generative AI text, maybe leading into chatbots, uh, Microsoft Copilot, that, that type of work stream is sort of progressing at one pace. Uh, you'll, you'll have your Tesla type work stream with uh, autonomous driving and potentially robo taxis in the future. And that's got its own sort of timeline to it. Uh, you've, you've got generative drug discovery and hopefully uh, providing therapeutics for different diseases. So that's another work stream and timeline. And all of these things are AI represented in different ways. And they're all very exciting. Uh, they're all going to, if, if they go all the way to fruition, provide a lot of potential and growth and productivity. And so it, it's justified to have some excitement, but you just have to also have that realization that each functional thing that you talk about might have a very different timeline to ultimate fruition. I mean, looking, looking at the whole sector, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I've been aware of artificial intelligence Oh gosh, I mean, you know, at least the last seven, eight years, and, and I've been aware of it on the fringes of the investment industry. Um, why is it that it took something like Chat GPT to suddenly get the ball rolling? It does feel like that was almost like the touch paper that lit the whole explosion here in the investment world. Um, what was it about Chat G GPT itself that suddenly got everybody excited? Because AI's been around. For a long time before that. Yeah, I think um, Alan Turing was hypothesizing in the 40s and 50s. And in the 50s, uh, different professors were getting together and thinking about the, the underlying concepts. But it, in essence, it took many, many years for the transistors on the semiconductor chips to get to that level of density so that you can get the performance. And now, of course, we're talking about the H100s and NVIDIA and uh, what, what the performance we're able to get today is just uh, incredible uh, leaps ahead of what 
would have been uh, the case even a few years ago. So part of it is you're seeing this mixture of different things coming together where there's more data than there's ever been before and we're producing more as a society every day. The processing power is better than it's ever been. The speed with which you're able to transmit the data, whether it's 4G or 5G is, is faster and better than it's ever been. So you have these things sort of coming together and ChatGPT was in a way the perfect application to awaken the world's consciousness. It wasn't super serious necessarily, but it also wasn't, you know, completely uh, like like a Dogecoin sort of a, a thing where it was uh, almost too much of a novelty. So it, it sort of hit the exact right note where business users could possibly have their imagination of the capabilities come the regular people, the the student users, the teachers, the education profession, so many different areas of society were able to take a look, to experiment quickly. You you didn't need to have a data science degree to kind of know what you're doing within the application. And that virality, that, that ability to say it's the fastest app to get to 100 million active users, that obviously gets the VCs in Silicon Valley going. And so more and more money comes to the space. And it's almost like this self-fulfilling uh, prophecy, even though obviously ChatGPT itself, I- I'm not sure what the commercial potential is, but it certainly got Microsoft thinking as one example and Microsoft working with OpenAI and ultimately uh, the co-pilot being used on the Office 365 platform could have enormous commercial uh, potential. It's just one example of a spillover effect that may never have happened without ChatGPT coming out last year in November. And I mean, if you asked most of the fund managers, uh, you know, which which company do you think best encapsulates the the AI theme, they're all going to say, "Oh yes, Nvidia." I mean, I've put that question to a few of them already. And NVIDIA comes out as the one they all love. Uh, everyone loves NVIDIA. Um, but I mean, from your perspective, outside NVIDIA itself, I mean, if, someone, if an investor is looking for a pure play AI stock, I mean, what would you say the top three are at the moment? So you, you get a lot of stuff written. And I think Satya Nadella has done an incredible job before even changing user behavior one iota the world was suddenly thinking maybe Bing is going to challenge the Google search engine, which if you if you think about what that statement means and to get The Economist or other reputable publications to even write about that as a possibility, it's it's a staggering thing because the, the Google search engine is one of the best examples of uh, business uh, that we've seen in the last 20 years. So you look at what Microsoft has been doing, and that's a series of very interesting things. And people are even postulating maybe Microsoft achieves a market capitalization greater than Apple in the coming years because of what they're doing with AI. Um, I was blown away by the Dojo statistics. Dojo is sort of the unique uh, supercomputer that uh, Tesla has developed to uh, encapsulate and process the the full self-driving information that they're collecting from all of their cars every single day. Um, And so those capabilities are exciting. And the idea of full self-driving, even if the car is not driving itself, processing that amount of video imagery and increasing the capability of what you can do with, say, unlabeled data sets and and having the computers sort of learn, quote unquote, to do more and more with that is really incredible. 
Um, but then you sort of step back and you say, look, uh, just to be able to make these chips, you have companies like uh, Cadence and Synopsys in the electronic design automation space where without AI, you, you probably couldn't make sense of the billions of transistors that are on each and every uh, semiconductor. So pro probably the ones that most everyone wouldn't mention would be companies like Cadence uh, and Synopsys in the uh, chip space. And if we, if we look out at the sort of investable stocks universe right now, um, which company would you say is leading the pack? I mean, who's got the most advanced AI, AI tech right now? I was, you know, based on what I've read in the last month or so, uh, Tesla and the Dojo system with the release of a full self-driving uh, version 12 and the publicity that you've uh, you've seen there, just just because the nature of thinking about the fact that you have millions of Tesla cars out on the roads, collecting a few terabytes of data every single day, piping that data back to a system that can somehow in a reasonable amount of time, make sense of that data to train the model to do a better and better job at allowing the cars to do more and more things themselves without driver intervention. It's, it's one of the, the most difficult, especially if you're thinking about doing it in a, in a city or a heavily populated area, not necessarily the open roads of Arizona or Nevada or anything like that. But you're basically taking on one of the grandest AI challenges to date and doing it in a way that is almost basically saying, I've got millions of data collectors every single day providing more and more interesting information and being able to process it. To, to me, Tesla stands alone uh, in that regard. And I mean, it's difficult. I know it's difficult to forecast this, but I mean, how much do you think the AI market will be worth by 2030? I mean, what's your growth projection looking like? So there, there are these different areas because obviously, uh, and you mentioned it, I mean, a lot of people, when they think AI in the same breath, the same sentence, the same line, they're thinking about NVIDIA. So you've got this sort of AI semiconductor market where it's not just semiconductors broadly. It's not just, say, memory chips, the, the kind of things that, you know, a Samsung uh, might, or a Micron might be doing. <laughs> but rather specific AI accelerator chips like the NVIDIA H100. In 2021, that market was 50 billion. And I, I was looking through and it's reasonable to expect that market could be 200 billion um, in 2030. So you've got basically a 4X of just the specific unique type of chip that is utilized for AI acceleration activity. Uh, and then you you then start start to think, what about the software space, which is admittedly a bigger space? And in uh, 2021, you're you're looking at something that's maybe around 100 billion, and it's possible that by 2030 you're uh, 20xing that, and you're getting to around two trillion. Um, so it's it's always the case that people probably listen to this and they say it's easy to throw out these gigantic numbers, but at, at the same time, you know, if any of these ideas like Tesla with robo taxis actually hit, uh, we probably are going to be too low on our growth pro projections. Uh, when, when they think about drug discovery, the, the crazy thing is they don't think you're just applying it to all diseases. They're basically saying if you could get one or two additional approved drugs a little bit faster each year, uh, that alone is worth tens of billions just 
a, a small incremental improvement. So if you could get a big improvement on some of these things, it's uh, it's astronomical what uh, it could mean. So I mean, I'm I'm a historian at heart. I mean, if I said, you know, AI right now is a bit like uh, the railway industry in the 1830s, 1840s, buying stock in AI. It's a bit like buying into railway companies round about that time in the late 1830s, early 1840s. It's going to change the world. Would that be a fair comparison? We, we would agree in the sense that it's not the kind of thing where you think, okay, AI, it exists on its own somewhere and people have to suddenly change everything they're doing to... Uh, touch it and to be touched by it. In, in essence, anything that we do that produces data, which there's a lot of things, every time you're, you're streaming a program on your TV, you're using your computer, you're using your smartphone, the fact that many, many, many people, billions of them around the world have smartphones is a, is a telling statistic. All the applications that we use within the smartphone, people can just basically keep doing what they're doing and the underlying providers of the different applications or the streaming services or the electrical power grid, energy, all these different things, they're going to start using AI more and more. So AI is just going to touch more and more people's lives and it's just going to naturally grow in this sort of exponential way where as long as we keep producing data and seeking to harness conclusions from it, AI represents the tool set to, to be able to do that. So I, I like your your railway analogy in the sense that it's it's something that people were just able to use to do what they wanted to do anyway, which was to make the world smaller and to be able to travel to more and more places and send stuff to more and more places more and more easily. In in this case, we're able to, in a more efficient way, hopefully, uh, do what we were doing and maybe do more stuff that we don't even conceive of today. And and what do you think is going to really help to um, drive the value for the AI sector, particularly the listed stocks? I mean, what, what do you think is going to be the major impetus to it? It's It's got to come back to actually creating a value proposition and revenues because the, the tricky part is you sit there, you see something like ChatGPT come out. It's basically free for most people to use and then any time that happens and then suddenly they're offering the, the $20 version that obviously some people can buy and it's not nothing. But at the same time, you're like, if that's if that's all it is, that's probably not going to get it done. But um, I, I was personally excited when I saw all the uh, code completion uh, services and then not only the things that people could use to better develop and write software code and for software engineering purposes, but then to see the experts discussing how it was very useful and they don't need to go on these other platforms and Google the, the results, but rather the result or what they need to solve a particular coding problem is suggested right there. It's, it's almost like they have an expert person with a perfect uh, ability to access information working right alongside them. And when Microsoft sort of starts getting you thinking about, you know, all those annoying times where you're going from the Word document to the Outlook document to the Excel file to the PowerPoint slide, if, if you're, you know, working with a co-pilot that can seamlessly say, oh, you need an email based on these slides or 
you need a chart based on this data in the Excel and it can start suggesting solutions as opposed to you're changing between the apps, copying and pasting the data, you know, doing all these different things. It's, it's fascinating when you start imagining the potential, but you have to be able to see those real activities, price points, user uptake and revenue leading into earnings. Because if all it is, is just the case of say, uh, you know, the CEO of Tesla going around uh, predicting self-driving cars uh, are going to be fully available and just putting on an arbitrary year on it. And then we get to that year and it's not here yet. Uh, that That's really not going to get it done. But if you, you can actually see the tangible progress, the tangible developments and look under the hood, uh, that's where it gets uh, very, very exciting. The other thing I like to look at, of course, is, is the downside risks um, for any investment story. I mean, this one sounds particularly compelling and I think it's very, very exciting. Um, but I mean, what are the biggest risks um, facing the sector right now? And, and just as a corollary to that, I mean, also, who stands to lose? Because obviously, this is going to be a wrecking ball through the whole, you know, the whole of uh, capitalism, to be honest with you. Some sectors are really going to be carved out by this as well. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's interesting in the sense that if, if we're honest about it, uh, at, at various points in history, I, I've, I've seen various movies that depict when it used to be, I guess, a, a job where people would sit and uh, calculate things, meaning by hand do division, multiplication, uh, different mathematical operations. And that's uh, a lot of what was happening around the time of, say, uh, the initial space program where we had to go from, you know, building the rocket to getting it into low orbit to getting it towards the moon, uh, etc. And in thinking about, okay, like at some point, somebody invents the calculator, they invent the computer, and all those people that, again, they, they studied, they practiced, they knew how to do the math, they, they were no longer needed. So in, in essence, there are examples back through time where stuff has been developed. And it's not as though smart people walk away and they have no opportunities. It's more, it may change the way certain jobs are done. It may adjust. It may be something that's functioning alongside a user. I don't see as much saying, you know, it's going to fully replace too many things, at least not yet. Maybe that changes in, in the current year, uh, coming years. We'll, we'll have to see. But um, by and large, you are always a little bit wary when you see the government. There's a lot of government attention, meaning whether you're in Europe, UK, US, it's clear governments are paying attention. Um, it's not necessarily clear what that means, meaning does that mean you're going to get a specific type of regulation? Uh, specific rules, then once the rules are there, how are the rules going to be enforced? Because, you know, data privacy is another example of something where we, we know that if you if you ask anyone, they would all say it's important. And then you've got all these sort of examples and cases and appeals, and, and you're kind of left just wondering, okay, how important is it? And can the regulators actually enforce against some of the largest companies in the world, the various judgments? And you're seeing the same with, with Google right now, I know there's a, a huge case about uh, antitrust and we'll see what happens there. So you've got this whole idea of government regulation and you're just sort of left wondering how does that discussion play out? Uh, does it play out? 
uh, and does it affect the ways in which the data can be ingested? Because the data is really the fuel. If you want this stuff to keep improving, you need better and better data and you need more and more of it. And at a certain point, you know, if you have a 10 trillion parameter model, we're, we're not there today. Uh, we may not even have enough data to feed into such a model. There, there is such a thing where the model is just too big for the current amount of data that we have. So what, what do you do to sort of keep feeding the need to improve and grow and, and try to keep getting better and better results with these things? So we'll ultimately have to see, but the government side, the regulatory side is an interesting current discussion that has yet to be resolved. I mean, yeah, the, this is the thing. We keep seeing all these really hysterical headlines about, oh, you know, AI is a threat to humanity or this politician stands up and says AI needs to be regulated. But in reality, I, I just wonder about how, you know, how practical that's going to be. I'm, I'm again, going back to my railway analogy, I'm, I'm reminded of the, the guys they used to have walking in front of trains with a red flag. It feels a little bit like that, you know, like uh, I, I don't understand just how governments are going to really slow down the growth of the the sector, although I agree with you probably if I had to point to one particular threat to the development of AI, it's got to be government intervention and, and regulation. Um, but I mean, you know, at the end of the day, do you think that, that, that that's realistic? Do you think it's really going to be an effective curb on the the growth of the industry as a whole. Well, the, the governments today, it's it, there. There are a lot of topics. There's the like the digital assets and cryptocurrency topic, which is a big government topic. There's the data access and data privacy, and that's a big topic. You, you've got AI, which is related. It's a big topic, and and you've got antitrust, which again, it's it's almost like you're wondering. Are the topics being driven by the fact that you have a small number of companies that have, you know, one to three trillion in market cap and they're they're trying to say target those companies and trying trying to, you know, do something to inhibit the growth of those? Because it is it is sort of interesting. A lot of the topics end up where you get to, well, what are you gonna do about it? Well, you know, it's the this same list of companies that you're clearly trying to go after in various ways. Um, but I, I would agree in the sense that it, it hasn't yet been proven that these companies, if if they're trying to achieve something, to do something, it, it hasn't yet been proven that the government can uh, stop them at, at all or inhibit any sort of progress. And so a lot of the stuff, it, it feels like might even be a little bit performative. I know there was that... Um, letter that got a lot of attention that various people signed and some of the people signing the letter are even starting ai companies and efforts within the six-month quote-unquote moratorium so, so some of what we are hearing in the headline space and from governments could be more performance uh, than action and and it's also the case that some of it very well could be uh, a true effort to uh make things function better but uh when people start saying you know we should have a disclaimer if something is generated by AI versus it's generated by a person, uh, you start looking under the hood and you say, how, how do you even make that determination? Who who would be able to make that determination? And it's not like there's just uh, five or 10 algorithms. It's, you know, there could be five or 10 uh, billion algorithms. How, how do you even look at all of them? It's a, it's a very uh, massive issue uh, and it becomes massive very quickly and very tough to uh, sort of think, how can a government bureaucracy 
be the answer uh, to some of these things. Yeah, no, no, I hear you there. And, and really, just finally, I mean, obviously, it's a complex subject. Many investors will be thinking, wow, this sounds great, but, you know, how do I invest in it? Um, it's a little bit more sophisticated than, say, the oil industry or, or even even the, the you know green energy industry. Um, is, it, is it an easy theme to invest in, do you think? So the way that we go about it, and, and there are some people out there, I'm sure, that might have a, an exposure and investment to like a NASDAQ 100. So if, if you were to say whether it's the S&P 500, the NASDAQ 100, the key theme there is you definitely see a lot more tech companies in the US market than say the European market. So it, you, you couldn't say that there's no exposure in a NASDAQ 100 or an S&P 500, but at the same time, for those that are trying to get a bit more specific, uh, we would agree that it requires some thought because sometimes certain strategies tilt more towards robotics or towards software or towards semiconductors. And our thought is if you've got the appropriate rep uh, expertise, why can't you represent a bit of everything? Because you clearly see these things move in waves. In past years, there were certain years where robotics were a very, very hot topic. And then generative AI and ChatGPT has been a hot topic. And next year, we would suppose that there's going to be another hot topic and it's going to be AI related. If we knew what it was, we would position our money today uh, to take advantage. But our thought is if you're diversified across things like software, semiconductors, robotics, all sorts of different activities, at least when things are moving in terms of excitement and the waves of performance are coming and going, you're, you're more apt to capture as opposed to having an investment that might be mostly robotics. And that's fine when that is the key topic, but when it's not the key topic and these cycles can take various amounts of time, then you're sort of left out in the cold where another part of AI is uh, on the run. No, I agree with you there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much indeed, uh, Chris Ganati, for coming on the, on the podcast today. That's been really, really informative. Um, you've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast uh, with uh, Chris Ganati, who's Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree. Um, and thanks very much indeed for your time today, Chris. Thank you for having me. Love to come back uh, when we can. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website, www.thearmchairtrader.com, for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.